<laughs> My name is Tyler Guthrie. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I've got to take care of the preliminaries. I have a sponsor. He knows he's my sponsor. I have a home group. I have a service commitment in my home group. I have service commitments outside my home group. I sponsor guys. Um, I serve on committees outside of all of that. Um, uh, it was it was explained to me that um, Alcoholics Anonymous is a program of positive self-interest, spiritual growth through self through self-sacrifice for others. And I'm not real good at self-sacrifice for others. You know, if there's not something in it for me, I ain't doing it. That's been basically the whole story of my life. Um, I don't say any of those things to brag about. I'm not super Joe AA. I don't wear a red cape and go around saving newcomers and dragging people off of bar stools. Um, I, you know, I, I say those things because that's the way the pro, this program was laid out for me by the people that have sponsored me um, this go-around. Uh, my current sobriety date is one eleven sixteen. Um, if I stay sober for like 29 more days, I'll have four years of sobriety. Um, my original sobriety date was July 10th, 1985. Um, uh, my journey with this, my, my journey with the disease started right from the get. I can remember my first drink. It was, it was during the holidays. I, I mean, I, I can, I can bring it right back to my memory. Um, I think we lived, I think we we're in Wilcox, Arizona at the time. I don't really remember exactly what town it was. It was a while back. I mean, I was three. I'm, you know, I'll be 54 in a week, so there might be some lapses in my memory. Uh, but it was a shot glass of Mogan David wine. I remember, I remember the bottle because it, that's back when Mogan David wine still had all the grapes on the bottle. They didn't call it Mad Dog 2020. It hadn't graduated to street cred yet. It was just Mogan David wine. Um, but I remember even at three years old, wanting I want another shot. I wanted more wine. Give me more wine. Um, I didn't really pick anything up until I was, I'm a late bloomer. I didn't pick anything else up until like seven years later. Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, uh, I mean, I started this journey with dry goods. You know, my, 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 uh, my best buddy's older teenage brother thought it would be fun to get the kids stoned and watch us bounce off the walls. And that's what we did. And I remember loving it. And I set out from that point forward to do that as often as I could, and I did. Um, um, you would think, well, I like the way it made me feel because it made me feel normal, and it took all this stuff away in my head. And at ten years old, you're like, what? What could you possibly have going on in your head at ten years old that you need to put a, that, that you need to squash down? Lots of stuff. None of that stuff makes me an alcoholic. I mean, it was eight eight grade schools in eight years. Lots of stepdads. Lots of drunken brawls. All the you know, I had a tragic life. Woohoo. Who doesn't? You know, that stuff didn't make me an alcoholic. Um, what makes me an alcoholic is that I have a physical allergy to alcohol, and I have, I have this mental obsession uh, that was spurred by the effect. I drank, I, I drank and did all the things I did for effect. I liked what it did to me. I never liked the taste of beer. I've drank lots and lots of beer. Never liked the taste of it. Drank lots of whiskey. Never liked the taste of it. Well, till the end, I started drinking. You know sweet stuff, Southern Comfort and stuff like that because it was sweet taste. Anyway, <laughs> um, I got a DUI when I was 18 years old. They put me in jail. Um, they said, well, if you tell the guy from the National Council on Alcoholism that you're an alcoholic, you can get out of jail. That's how I found Alcoholics Anonymous. I wasn't trying to get sober. I wasn't trying to find God. I was just trying to, you know, I was in Otero County Jail in Alamogordo, New Mexico, 
and it's not a nice jail. Um, so I went to treatment for two weeks, and uh, uh, I remember after a couple of meetings in there, I called my high school girlfriend, all excited. I, I called my mom, all excited. It's like, you won't believe it. I'm an alcoholic. And they couldn't understand why I was so happy. Um, I, I could put a name on what was wrong with me. I thought I was going crazy. I literally thought I was losing my mind because I could not stop drinking. I mean, there were blackouts. There were, there were fights, waking up in the middle of the forest, leaning up against a tree, and I'm the only one left. <laughs> only one at the party, and I had to like, go through the forest trying to find my vehicle. Um, a lot of, I ran over a lot of mailboxes. I mean, there's a long stretch of highway between Alamogordo and Tularosa where I lived, and I took out as many mailboxes as I could, none of it on purpose. It just sort of worked out that way. Um, so when I found out I was an alcoholic, I was happy. You know, it's like, okay, I can put a label on this thing. You know, uh, I, I struggled for the, for the first year, and, and I managed to, to get my permanent sobriety date when I was 19. That was July 10th of 85. Um, I uh, uh, stayed sober for 15 years. I got involved in the program back then. I was a lot of service, a lot of meetings. You know, I did a, I did like this cursory thing through my steps. I did, I did my steps, and I sponsored guys. I did it all wrong. I had a one-bedroom apartment at one point with six guys living on the floor. I was going to sober up the world back then. Um, uh, I got to twelve-step my brother into the program after I was a year sober, and that was that was that's one of the gifts from God that I'll never, that I'll always be grateful for. Um, my brother struggled a lot. He came to me. Wanted to go to a meeting, and he took to A like a duck to water. Um, he died six years sober, um, uh, uh, but he died at peace with God and at peace with the world, at peace with his family. Um, AA gave him a gift that, that only AA could. Um, me being the selfish, self-centered alcoholic that I am, I made that all about, how could God do this to me? Never really taking a look at it. It's like, well, he's the one who died. You know, I didn't realize that until I got back this time. But I caught the resentment at God. Um, so I spent the next eight years not going to meetings, not doing any of the things that had kept me sober, not being involved in the fellowship at all. Um, I just worked. Uh, I, uh, my first sponsor in AA in Phoenix, when I finally did make it to Phoenix, um, this guy named Walt, and he, his business was to go to conventions and tape the speakers, and we DJed the big AA dances. They used to be the East Valley intergroup and, and Salt River intergroup and we would DJ the dances back and forth and they'll go to conventions. So I had a lot of exposure to 12-step recovery uh, and I had a lot of knowledge about the book. You know, I had a lot of knowledge about how the, how AA functions at the service level. Um, uh, none of that saved me, <laughs> you know, because I quit doing the deal and eventually, eventually I picked up. Uh, when I got, when I started getting loaded again, after 15 years, it wasn't because things were going bad. You know, I had the world, I had, you know, I was sitting on top of the world. I, I was singing for a living, which I love to do. I had a nice truck, a nice house. I had a girlfriend. I had a really nice girlfriend. Um, everything looked good. But inside, things weren't, just things weren't looking so good. I was real shiny on the outside, but on the inside, I was kind of falling apart again. Um, uh, all the principles that I had, tried to practice an AA around the first time, I quit doing. My relapse started way before I ever picked up a drink. I mean, years before I ever picked up. The little white lies started. The little manipulation started. The, uh, you know, trying to, trying to run the show. You know, you read about it in the actor scenario. You know? uh, I tried to arrange the world to suit me and, and tried to wrest satisfaction out of the world by being successful, and it didn't work because I had money in the bank. I had, 
at least local fame, you know, at least in the bars. We were, I was opening for National I was doing a lot of really cool stuff, you know, stuff that, that I'll, I'll always treasure those memories. I got to meet a bunch of country, country singers and do a bunch of really cool stuff, but none of, the, none of the, it was never enough. It was never enough. So eventually I started getting loaded again. Once again, it was, you know, people talk about, oh, because everybody's got medical marijuana cards. I hear a lot of newcomers come in, well, can I just smoke weed? I've got a card. Say, well, I can't. Um, my, all my brain knows is it's high. And it, you know, um, I did develop an affinity for whiskey at a very early age. I like Canadian blended whiskey to begin with. And, you know, of course, this last go around, it was, it was American whiskey, but it was in plastic bottles, not glass bottles. I, <laughs> it slowly went from Gentleman Jack, single barrel, to whatever I could get my hands on. Um, <laughs> I didn't care if it was on the rocks or if it, was, if it had been underneath, underneath the seat in the car and was 200 degrees. I'd still drink it. I didn't care. Uh, I mixed a lot of other chemicals in there. Um, I hit bottom pretty quick. Uh, within within a year of uh, picking back up, I'd had a massive stroke, um, ended my singing career, lost hope, hit bottom, started getting in trouble with the law, several arrests, few stints in jail. Um, I'm a two-time graduate of Maverick House, and <laughs> um, I work at, I work in rehab now, and I try and explain to the to the people there that you don't really graduate from rehab; you're discharged. And you, <laughs> and you need to keep that in mind because that piece of paper and 250 will get me a cup of coffee at Denny's. It will not keep me sober. Um, I went through Salvation Army, in and out, in and out, uh, a lot of halfway houses, several attempts at getting sober. Um, I always meant it when I said it. I really want to get sober this time. I really want to get sober this time. Um, hindsight, after doing a, a thorough fourth step this time, doing a thorough inventory, I didn't want to get sober. I just wanted the pain to end. I really didn't want to get sober. Um, that would mean I had to accept responsibility for my life, and that's something I really didn't want to do at that point. Uh, um, I ended up homeless, toothless. <laughs> uh, you know, I, did, I, I had four teeth in my head when I got back to the, when I got back here in in uh, January of 2016. Um, I had no place to live. I wasn't technically homeless. I had a mobile home. Um, it was a <laughs> it was a van, so technically I wasn't homeless. Um, I could just park wherever I wanted in there, I, then I was home. Um, the levels of desperation that the disease took me to, um, they're places I never thought I'd go, you know. When you've been around the program a while and you've got, you, you have an idea of what these principles are and what they mean, I'll guarantee if you're new and you stick around long enough, the one thing that Alcoholics Anonymous will do for you is it will screw up your drinking. <laughs> you will never be able to drink happily again because it's always in the back of your mind. This is not who I am. This is not what I should be doing. Um, um, it's amazing to me the, the the amount of wreckage you can pack into 15 years. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm still working on amends. There's still a mountain of those things that I, that I have to make. Some of them I may never be able to make. Um, when I did get back here, um, I was... You know, I had that desperation of a drowning man that you read about in the big book. Um, whatever you told me to do, I was going to do. Because I, I was either going to die or go to prison, and I'm too pretty for prison, so I'm not going to prison. Um, I, uh, somewhere along the line, there was, I, there was at least one suicide attempt. You know, uh, that desperation in my mother's eyes. I like to drove that woman into her grave. But, you know, I look at it, it's like I was 50 years old, and I was still... Asking mom for for gas money, 
still lying to her about gas money. Yeah, I need it for gas, Mom. That never went for gas. I siphoned my gas. Um, when I got to Maverick House uh, for this last time, and I pray to God it's the last time, um, whatever they told me to do, I was willing to do. Uh, I actually got there on January 8th. I called my sobriety date January 11th because it took me three days for everything to get out of my system. I don't know if any of you have been involved in the legal system before, but I peed in cups in front of people for a long time. Um, you get on probation enough, you get to do that a lot. Um, uh, I finally peed clear urine for the first time in years. It, that doesn't sound like much if you haven't been there, but that was like a spiritual experience for me. It's like, there's nothing in my system. Um, so I walked to my room, it's room 13, Closed the door, shut out the light, and I got on my knees. And I hadn't, I haven't cracked, I hadn't cracked open a big book in a very, very long time. I used it as a coaster for my whiskey bottle and for my pipes. Um, uh, I said the third step prayer in earnest. I'd said the third step prayer a bunch of times in that 15 years. Every time I went into rehab, I'd get a sponsor, and we'd say the third step prayer, and I'd pretend to do the deal, and I wouldn't do the deal, and I didn't end back out. Uh, this time I said it by myself, uh, on my knees, in the dark, and I meant it. And something changed. I don't know what changed. I'm pretty sure, um, you know, in the, in the spiritual appendix in the back of the book, um, it listed as willingness, honesty, and open, open-mindedness. But these are indispensable. The vernacular of the program is honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. That's how you got. That's how you stay sober. And I, I kind of like the willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness. It's like that's who I need to be to stay sober. And, and that really has kind of worked for me this time. Um, I was willing to do whatever you told me to do. I got the most arrogant sponsor I could find that was bringing in the H&I meetings. Uh, I needed a guy who would hold my feet to the fire. He didn't last long, of course, because I thought I knew better. Uh, my arrogance could have killed me because I had a lot of back knowledge about how this thing works. And Well, I thought I did. Uh, I hadn't experienced as much of it as I thought I had. I, uh, I got into the book. I did everything he asked me to do. Um, he suggested sober living, so I did 30 days did, did my little spin dry in, in Maverick. I did eight months in a halfway house, and as soon as I got out, I started getting commitments, as many as I could get. Um, it took me a while to get a job, uh, so I rode ten speeds and buses and whatever whatever I had to do to get to meetings. Uh, but I went to a meeting every day, and I've pretty much kept up with that. I still do seven or eight meetings a week when I can. Sometimes I can't do that. Uh, I try and load myself up. It took me a year and a half to finish my first four step. I wouldn't suggest that for anybody. Um, I switched sponsors a couple times. I broke all the rules. I went to work for my sponsor, which is not a good idea. <laughs> uh, it's kind of hard to mix spirituality with a paycheck. It definitely would, it got me. It got me in some trouble. But it, uh, I got a, a really good working knowledge of of one, two, and three. Um, I'm absolutely powerless over alcohol and a lot of other things. My life is definitely unmanageable. My life is more manageable today. I, I try not to stay in, in that powerlessness. Um, the guy, some of the guys that I sponsor, they get worried about this. Like, they feel like they're being steamrolled. Do I have to be steamrolled by the world for the rest of my life because I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous? Um, what my experience has been is, I, and the book talks about this, I have access to power. I'm, I'm not powerless over alcohol today. Um, if I put it in my body... I'm immediately powerless. I still have that physical allergy. Uh, but for me, the, I like the promises of the book, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the nine-step promises. Those, somebody got a bright idea to put 12 promises on the wall and say, those are the promises of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you read the book, 
it's full of promises. You know, it's full of promises. The big one for me is the 10 step promise. Um, uh, being placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. You know, the problem has been removed. Um, I've argued with people about are we are we in rec are we recovering or are we recovered? Uh, and uh, for me, if you open the title page of the book, it says Alcoholics Anonymous: The Story of How Thousands of Men and Women Have Recovered from from a Hopeless State of Mind and Body. I've recovered. Um, I no longer have the obsession. Fortunately, for, for me, it was removed right away. Um, I know people will still fight it to this day, um, but I, got, I'm, I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, step two, it wasn't hard for me to believe that there was a God. I had seen God work before my previous experience in the program. I'd, I saw what he did for my brother. Who was, he was a hopeless alcoholic and cocaine addict, dying in his disease. I took him to one meeting, and he took off like a rocket. And I got to see that miracle happen in his life. And I got to see that miracle kind of happen in my life, too. Um, When I said that third step prayer, I mean, later on, my sponsor, he was trying to, trying to teach me a lesson about humility, and all he really did was make me angry. We had to do a formal third step, so we went to the QT at 67th Avenue and Thunderbird at noon. There's a car wash there, and it's, it was a Saturday. So a lot of traffic, a lot of people, and there we are on our knees in the landscaping, <laughs> surrounded by traffic and people. Reading the third step prayer, that's when I decided he was no longer going to be my sponsor, actually. Um, but uh, uh, that's what I have to do. On a, I do that on a, on a daily basis. The one thing I, that's remained consistent for me throughout my recovery is um, that I start every morning with a prayer. I don't end every day with a prayer because I get lazy about hitting my knees at night. Sometimes I have to say that prayer when I'm, when I'm laying in bed. Um, but I start every morning... No matter how bad I have to pee, no matter how bad I want a cup of coffee, no matter how bad I want a cigarette, I roll out of bed onto my knees. I started doing that when I first. I started doing that after that, that that first third step. I've probably missed a few days, but not very many. Um, we were at a meeting last night, and, and the topic was humility. And, and uh, funny thing about humility is when I think I have it, I don't. You know, it's sort of a state of it's it's a state of being for me. But if I can start my day reminding myself that I don't know everything, um, it makes my day go just go a lot better. It just goes a lot better. Um, for the new guys, you'll be suggested to do 90 meetings in 90 days. Get a sponsor. Read the book. Um, I didn't want to do 90 meetings in 90 days, but um, it got me into the habit of devoting an hour of my life every day, <laughs> at least one hour, to my recovery. Um, and that's worked so well, I just kept doing it. I was going somewhere with that, and I completely got sidetracked. That tends to happen to me. A little bit of brain damage. Um, when I, the thing that finally got me to my, to my fourth step um, was I thought I was going to die. I was, I'd moved to Texas because God told me to. <laughs> I went over there for a business opportunity that didn't work out. It turns out, turns out that was me trying to, impose my, you know, trying to impose my will on my life again. And... Uh, I was driving down the freeway between New Brumples and San Antonio, Texas, headed to a meeting, and this thought just came clear as a bell into my head that if I didn't get to work on these steps, that I'd blow my brains out at three years sober. And, and it scared me that that thought just came out of nowhere. Um, to me, that's sort of the mystical nature of, the mystical nature of my experience of God. He show, it shows up when he needs to. Um, 
I'd already decided that I didn't want to die from this disease. And, and actually, just in the last uh, last few months, there's three people that I can think of that have died from this disease, but not drinking. You know, they've taken their own lives. Uh, and that's not the way I want to go out from this disease. I want to die, you know, from old age, <laughs> hopefully, in my sleep. Um, it scared me to death because I've, I've had a suicide attempt, and I know how hopeless that can, how hopeless that gets. And that was, that voice in my head was loud enough to convince me that no matter what, I was going to get get to work on these steps. Things worked out, and I ended up back in Phoenix. Um, probably one of the best gifts that I've ever gotten in sobriety is that I lost everything at a year and a half sober. Uh, <laughs> everything was gone. Um, came back from Texas to finish some dental work. I'd prepaid it, paid for the stuff, and I flew back. To Phoenix, uh, just for just for a few days to finish the dental work, and my business partner in Texas decided, well, we don't want a business partner anymore. We're not sending you a return flight ticket. We'll ship your stuff to you. So I'm <laughs> I'm sitting there a year and a half sober, with basically four days worth of clothes in a bag and a big book, you know, and uh, not knowing what what was going to happen. And Mike's. When I talk about God, the best way I can say it is I stole this from somebody else, is that God is not the object of my belief, but the subject of my experience. Um, I was scared to death for about two hours. I didn't know what I was going to do, where I was going to go. And I prayed, and this calm came over me, and I knew everything was going to be okay. And within three days, I had a job that provided a vehicle. You know, had a good friend in the front. The fellowship wrapped their arms around me as well. You know, a guy, a guy that I'd rented a room from gave me... Free rent until I found a job. Well, he didn't have to wait long for his rent because the job showed up. Uh, that was somebody else in the program. A friend hooked up a phone for me. Um, and I got to go back to my old home group, which is 51st Avenue in Union Hills on Friday nights, 730. I invite you all to come out there. Um, uh, my, my sponsor's name is Pat. He's been sober since Jesus was a journeyman. Um, <laughs> uh, and he, he's, he's sort of my idol in the program, program as far as as far as service goes, he's, he's really committed to service and he's the most Zen person I know. And that's kind of what I'm shooting for. You know, he's able to match calamity with serenity, whatever's going on in his life. It's like, he just like kind of sails through it. And, uh, I'd like to get to that place. Um, uh, I got with Pat, we finished my fourth step and my fifth step within a few weeks of me being back. Um, and I started, uh, started this journey in earnest. Um, I started really, uh, the fifth step promise for me is, uh, not an obvious one. I had to read it over and over until I figured out what it was. Um, and actually I guess it's kind of the sixth step promise because it talks about taking the book down and thanking God that we know him better. And it took me a while to, to re- I had to read that over and over. It's like, cause I always thought the fourth and fifth step was about getting to know me better and understand what my character defects are. And what I found is in the fifth, fifth and sixth step, for me, it's, it's not about getting to know me better. It's about getting to know God better. We thank God that we know him better. When I read that, it jumped off the page of me, and I lit up. And I realized, I, I, I finally started, started to sink in what this thing was all about. Um, uh, it's about having a spiritual experience. You know, it talks about that and how it works. You know, what's the point? The point is we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. I mean, the end of the 12th step, having had a spiritual experience, um, uh, spiritual growth through, through self-sacrifice for others. Somebody else had to articulate that for me to get it. But once I got it, I started to realize what this thing was about. Um, 
I stay pretty busy in the program because you've heard the line, you've heard people in meetings or just before and after meetings, you know, some are sicker than others. I'm one of the some. <laughs> I'm one of the some. Um, there, are, there are amends. I mean, I, I, I did things that I'm absolutely not proud of when I was out, when I was out getting loaded in that 15 years. I've been, I've robbed people blind. Um, a lot of nameless people, a lot of faceless people, people who I'll never be able to contact. Um, and it was kind of explained to me that I didn't understand it when I heard it in meetings like, oh, you have to make a living amends, a living amends. And I thought, oh, it just means I have to not drink anymore and not be a jerk. And, and I found out that's really not what that means for me. Um, I've got a debt to repay. Um, um, I can't pay it back in money, so I have to try and pay it back in service. And, and that means I get, I get to do this thing. Um, I don't have to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous that I don't want to do. It suggests that I do as much as I can do, and so far that's worked out pretty well. Um, um, the ninth step has been the biggest struggle for me. It's really been the biggest struggle for me um, because there are so many faceless people out there, people I just don't remember, you know. Uh, hearts that I've broken. I was a single musician for a long time, not, work, not, not living this manner of living, so I was kind of a jerk to women. Uh, that's a massive understatement. Um, uh, the point there for me is it's like, At first, I did a lot of service work because I was trying to pat my... I wanted people, look what a good AAM, you know. Look how much I'm doing. And I finally got to this point where I understand that it's like the only time I really talk about it is when I'm asked to share about it. I do these things because I owe a debt, you know. I, I owe a massive debt to this program. Uh, I owe a debt to the people who came before me, the people who spent time taking me through these steps. Uh, uh, I kind of live in steps 10, 11, and 12 now as much as I can. Uh, I think when, you're, when, I, you know, when I was new... When I was new, I was working a program. Um, but after a certain point, it was, it was shown to me that this is a manner of living. It's, I'm not working a program anymore. It's a manner of living for me. I stay in 10, 11, or 12. You know, um, spot check inventory throughout the day. That's what 10... I used to think 10 step was when I get on my... You know, sit down at night and inventory my day. And then I realized, no, that's step 11. Step 10 for me is I spot check inventory during the day. As soon as, as, soon as I mess up, and I know when I mess up. I've got a conscience today. Um, I have tried to make those things right as, as quick as I can. It has to be a manner of living for me. Uh, step 11, I start my morning with a prayer. I start with a reading. My meditation, it's, I'm not a Buddhist. I don't do the, a lot of home. I don't burn incense. I don't ring bells. I just sit with God in the morning whatever, let my mind go until it slows down enough to get an idea of what I need to do for the day, and then I move in that. And so far, so good. Um, you know, step 11, <sighs> give you part of that. The nighttime part, I'm still not good at. I'm still not good at, usually at the end of the night, uh, it's a quick prayer, and I try and get off to sleep. But I'm working on that. And then step 12 for me. Uh, uh, one of my favorite lines in the, in the big book is, <clears throat> We must carry, I'll probably quote this wrong, it's been a while. Uh, every day is the day we must carry the vision of God's will under our daily activities, something like that. Um, but I kind of try and do that today. I spend a lot of time in prayer during the day, all day. I talk to God a lot. Um, sometimes he talks back. That can be scary. <laughs> I start hearing voices, I need to see a doctor. Um, God usually talks to me through the people on Alcoholics Anonymous. Talks to me through movies. Talks to me through television. Um, one of the biggest things that got probably got me got me 
hopeless but hopeful enough to get to, to try and get sober other than other than I might die or go to prison was a line from movie uh, Fight Club it says it's only when you've lost everything that you're free to do anything and I hung on to that you know it's a stupid line right in the middle of this weird movie but I hung on to that um, and that there's still a lot of things like that that show up in TV movies music um, I can pretty much see God's fingerprints everywhere in my life uh, I think the difference there is how I'm looking you know, I'm looking for that. Um, I experience God mostly when I'm sitting across a table at a Denny's or an IHOP or whatever in the book with a guy. Um, that's when God usually shows up for me, when I'm trying to help somebody else get out of the pit that I was in. Um, I used to try and brag about, oh, I've got seven guys in the book. No, I usually had two guys in the book, seven guys who called me their sponsor because they signed their court card. Um, now, I'm not really exactly sure how many guys I've got in the book, and I'm okay with that. I've got the ones who call me in the book, you know? Uh, and I do have a few that are willing to do the work. And that's, that's a joy to me. It's a joy to see that. Um, uh, I'm kind of on fire for the program right now. And I'm told by people who have gone before me that that will fade. <laughs> it will ebb, and it will flow, and it will ebb, and it will flow. Uh, right now, I'm enjoying the flow, you know? Um, I was blessed with a job uh, at the beginning of this year. I, it's not a job I wanted. It's a job I tried to avoid because I would see people get sober and they're going to save the world. And so they'd go to work for a rehab. And within two months, they were getting loaded with the clients or they were getting loaded. We never saw them again or they'd get burnt out. They didn't want to talk to newcomers. They were sick of AA. They were sick of recovery. Um, I waited until I was, you know, about three years sober and something kept nudging me into this this line of work and I didn't want to do it I really didn't want to do it um, things laid themselves out in front of me in such a fashion that I, it's like okay this is where I've got to go um, sometimes God leads me with little nudges and sometimes he like puts an elbow to the back of the head this is kind of an elbow to the back of the head and it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me um, I know I, that probably won't last either and I'm okay with that uh, right now I'm in a place where I get to uh I drive a druggy buggy, <laughs> and it, it's it's in Scottsdale, so it's what we call high bottom drunks. And what that's taught me is that it doesn't matter where your bottom is; it really doesn't. And I, I yeah, I learned that in my first my first two weeks working there. You know, this poor girl, her sugar daddy quit paying her rent; she couldn't pay for her phone, and she decided it was time to go to rehab. And I was like, that's not a bottom. But then she started telling me about the way she felt, the hopelessness, the, just that, that deep, dark, lonely, dreadful feeling that we get, you know. Um, if you're sitting in this room, I'm sure you've experienced that feeling. But it really opened my eyes, and it's allowed me to come a little, be a little more compassionate, a little more open-minded, comparing people to my story. Um, um, today, that's probably, probably the big lesson for me this year has been to uh, not compare myself to other people, but compare myself to who I was yesterday. I don't know what your, I don't know what your pain is, or what your suffering was, but if you're in this room, you suffered from this disease, or you wouldn't be here. Sometimes I forget that we suffer from this disease. It's all about look at your character defects, and you got to work on this, and you got to work. We're here to help each other relieve suffering, you know, because we do suffer from this disease. 
I don't suffer from as badly as I used to. Now it's usually just embarrassment and cringeworthy moments when I say stuff that I'm not supposed to say out loud, um, <laughs> usually in a meeting. But uh, um, I just, I, the world's opened up to me. It's absolutely opened up to me. Uh, in, the, in the ninth step promises it talk about, it does talk about a new freedom and a new happiness. And that means a happiness I've never had before, a freedom I've never known before, new. Not, I, don't, I didn't get my old life back. I don't want my old life back. I get this new life back. Um, <laughs> moving forward. And the last, last promise I'll talk about, and then I'll close, it's like, I don't know what page it's on. I just know that it really lit me up when I heard it um, because I'm old and I'm single and I don't want to be that way anymore. <laughs> uh, Big what tells me the best years of my life are ahead of me. You know, and I thought coming in at 50 that my life was over. Um, I'm pushing 54, and I'm starting to look it, and I'm bitter about that a little bit. No, I'm not really. Um, but the best years of my life are ahead of me. My life has gotten nothing but better since I walked through the doors, said the third step prayer in earnest, and did everything I possibly could that you told me to do. Um, and so far, so good. It keeps getting better, so I'm going to keep coming back. Um, and I'll keep doing the things I'm doing. Uh, used to be because my sponsor told me to, now it's because I really want to, and that's the difference. I want to go to seven or eight meetings a week. You know, I want to sponsor guys. I want to get phone calls in the middle, and I like that stuff, and I never thought I would. That's that's a, that's complete personality change for somebody as selfish and self-centered as me. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad I'm sober today, and I'm... Really glad that all of you are here because, I mean, Tonopah is not really populated. If you guys are all here, the streets are safe in Tonopah, right? <laughs> and, the bar, and the bars are probably empty. So, <laughs> uh, uh, thanks for inviting me out here, and I hope somebody heard something they needed here. Well, I'll, then I'll pass. Thank you, sir.